0: Episode twenty nine of Ion Horror, otherwise known as Season Two, Episode Seven, I think. Uh, I keep track the other way, but if you keep track that way, Season Two, Episode Seven. Uh, I'm your host, James J. Edwards, and with me yet again, as always, is Jacob Davidson. How are you doing, Jacob?
1: I'm feeling very sleepy.
0: Sleepy again? You were sleepy last time too. You up late?
1: Uh well, I'll get into it. Uh- <laughs> we we don't want
0: to uh, t- to do half the show without Korea again. Speaking of Korea. Your other host, John Korea. How you doing, Korea?
2: I'm doing well, and I, apparently, from the sounds of it, I thought I was the resident party animal, but I think Jacob's <laughs> going for that title now.
0: Uh, you up so? Why are, you, why are you up so late, Jacob? I'm curious, too, now. Yeah, yeah let's get this started. What, what have you been doing this weekend that keeps you up all night?
1: Uh, I was at Midsummer Scream, the uh, uh, yeah. kind of haunted house convention that hits Long Beach every year. Cool. Nice. What's going on there? Oh uh, well, a lot, like uh, I was there yesterday, and uh it's really cool they do basically previews of haunted houses and uh amusements that are coming in september october for the halloween season so mostly local stuff like not like i mean stuff like not scary farm and halloween horror nights have panels but like the local haunts set up their own kind of mini haunts where they show off some of the stuff they got planned And, and it's actually really cool uh you know despite you know limited locations and you know size um like there was this great one that was actually uh it was called like fear fest 89 and it's like a haunted uh horror movie festival and you go into all these different rooms and each room is based off a different horror movie like there was a like a shining room there was a friday 13th room there was uh, an alien uh, corridor where aliens jumped at you why was it
0: 1989 Why'd they call it that?
1: I don't oh. know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's just it's just a good year, and uh, like the and yeah, it was and uh, let's see, there was also like a haunted uh, Mesoamerican temple one, and uh, there was uh, an uh, insane asylum one. Like they like they had, uh, covered all the different bases, and. Yeah, and again, you just got to give props to these haunters who are so dedicated in setting up uh, in the summer and, uh, you know, kind of giving people a taste of what to expect in the fall.
0: It's a lifestyle. Those guys are kind of the unsung heroes because yeah. I, I don't imagine there's a ton of money in doing that. So they do it for the love of creating these haunted houses. I mean, Pretty much. And- and and I think it shows too. Oh,
2: especially out here in uh in the valley of Los Angeles, like it, out in Burbank, they go all out. There's uh there's local maps that you can get for free where it's just maps for people's pe- on people's lawns who have like the best haunts, and it's really nice. neat. Yeah, highly suggest it up in uh, Magnolia Park.
1: Oh yeah, great area. And uh, aside from that, I also got to do a um. Well, you guys know that movie coming out Ready or Not with Samara Weaving. Yeah. Uh, they had a uh Ready or Not experience where uh you get to play hide and seek with mass killers. And <laughs> so they so like they so basically you get uh, they put you in this room, you got 20 seconds to hide and then uh these masked madmen will like uh, try and catch you and it's kind of like a tag football thing where you got like the little ropes around you and like you got two lives. If they catch you twice you're out. And, and and you're doing this by yourself? No, like uh, no, no. It's, no, it's with a group. It's with a group. Oh, okay. And they have, like, a whole setup so you can hide under tables, beds. Like, there's little uh, caves. Um, so it's kind of like laser tag, but, you know, just... Uh, without the lasers
0: but you know the killers uh they know every hiding place so you're at a serious disadvantage oh yeah
1: <laughs> although yeah. i i though i managed i managed to get a dr- get the drop on one of them like i did that thing where there was a there was a bed and i messed up the bed to make it look like somebody was hiding under it then i hid <laughs> under a table at the door so that when the killer came in i'd run out oh okay i played a lot of survival horror games like resident <laughs> evil like that those taught me very well And aside from that, uh, hit the Halloween Horror Nights panel. They got good stuff coming, as always. And, uh, always fun to see kind of the wares people are, uh, showing off in, um, like, the big room, you know, like, fog machines, different types of props, special effects. And I also got to meet one of my childhood heroes, Bill Kopp, who is, uh, the co-creator of a bunch of cartoons. Like, he, he did Eek the Cat with Savage Steve Holland.
0: Well, in, in other news, I think Korea and I, uh, but, well, first of all, Korea saw Midsommar. Midsommar. So, Ooh. let's get your thoughts on Midsommar. Midsommar. What'd you uh, think?
2: Oh, I loved it. I mean, <laughs> it it was actually funny because I uh, Lindsay and I went and we did the... Uh, I'm not watching anything for it. Like, I think I watched the teaser once and then, like, had done a pretty good job of avoiding everything. And so, uh, we both loved it. What a just utterly destructive beginning like oh, oh yeah and that whole first act oh. is just so hard and somebody
0: like, in um in one of the facebook groups i'm in was asking he said hey you know hereditary was really triggering for me because i have you know family issues is midsummer like that and i'm like oh, just read spoilers about the first 10 minutes yeah. and then you're good because it's all set up but man is it heavy <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I was I was on the edge of my seat that whole first 10 minutes. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Like I it's been a while since I left a
2: movie with like so many mixed emotions. Just like happy but also terrified and just like on, it it just on so many levels it it works and pulls like man, at, that director really needs to like I wonder if he's ever going to make a happy movie. Like, his films are always well, about, like, or at least these two are are really about, like, dealing with heavy loss.
1: I mean, if you look at Ari Aster's whole filmography, because he's got two features, but he did a bunch of shorts. Yeah. And they are some messed up shorts. Yeah, yeah they are. You are you okay,
2: Ari? Is, is, this a, is this a reach out at this point, bud? I don't know. But... Or, <laughs> He, he might just be like, you know, like Lars von Trevor. It's just like, no, I'm just going to make brutal movies all the time. It's like, all right, okay. That, that's how you exercise things. He's an artist.
0: He was on the uh, A24 podcast with uh, Robert Eggers who did The Witch. Yeah. The Vitch. And um, v- he se- he seems like a pretty normal guy in interviews. Um, but And so does Robert Eggers actually to, to you know, to be honest. But and when you think the imaginations that these guys have – um, you know, what comes out of their minds, <laughs> you know, it's the, the quiet ones that run deep, I guess.
2: Well, it it just feels like you no longer have to, I don't know, because when you think of like movies that are like really out there and really weird, you, you kind of think that the filmmaker is going to be like a David Lynch or John Waters type character yeah. where they're just going to, where you're going to be like, oh, okay, I can see why you make those type of movies, but we're not really seeing that a whole lot with this uh, with this generation. Uh, yeah. Although I would love the next person who you know, talks like this and says stuff like <laughs> you can't watch a movie on a fucking screen. You know, <laughs> for those who don't know, that was my terrible David Lynch
0: impression. <laughs> what What about Crawl? I, we both saw Crawl as well. Finally, I, I'll tell I'll tell you right now, I loved it. Yes, I, I had so much fun with Crawl. That was that was a, a, the only thing I hated about
2: Crawl was the audience I went with because we had oh. a surround sound of people talking and someone brought their fucking dog to the theater Uh, (laughs) which I didn't even know that was allowed so that that one scene in the beginning where the dog barks all of a sudden this dog is like barking at the screen next to like (laughs) behind me I'm like what the fuck is going on here but other than that fantastic I had so much fun with it and I really liked how uh, the lead actress she wasn't a damsel in distress at all nor did mm -hmm. they make her some over the top survivalist like she was they were just used logic and basic survival skills to like do what they could to get through. And I love
0: that. She, she was, she reminded me of uh, Blake Lively in the shallows. She was just like a, whatever it takes kind of a thing, but she had to save her dad as well for most of the movie. Um, My one gripe, and this is not a gripe. This is, I know exactly why they did it. And I actually agree with why they did it, but it's like they wanted the audience to forget that alligators could go on land Because there's that one part where she's swimming, swimming, and she gets out of the water, and the alligator just goes away. It's like, oh, you know that he can just follow you on land, right? And I guess that we were supposed to, you know, the alligator's like, oh, if only I had legs. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I had so much fun. It's just a good old fashioned, you know, creature feature pretty exactly. much.
1: And it's also a disa- great disaster movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's great to see a
2: creature feature actually be treated with skill because so many creature feature these days are just like straight to sci-fi, terrible CGI, like uh, just snooze fest for me. But this one was like, it was well crafted. Uh, that whole convenience store scene was I thought, hilarious. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It gave just a taste of Alexandria ages, uh Piranha 3D vibe. Yeah. Yeah. If only for a scene. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, I also saw um, Jennifer Kent's new movie. Who She did The Babadook. Yeah. And her new yeah. movie is called The Nightingale.
1: Oh, oh yeah. How was it? And it, it
0: is... It, it's, it's really good. It's really good. But it is, it's kind of questionably horror. It's more horrific than horror because it's about um, an Irish woman who is a slave in, I believe she's in Australia. And she, um, she basically gets brutalized. And I mean, there's horrifying depictions of you name it, you know, rape, murder. I mean, it's, it's a pretty brutal movie. And it's, it's unflinching so I mean if if you do if you are sensitive to things like that you might want to skip it but it is um, at its root it's just a re- it's just a revenge movie but it is so much more than that and it is and it's I'm, I was a little surprised that it was so unflinching given that it was a female director but it's not exploitative like it's not like I spit on your grave where you know you just are crying for the rape scene to end you're like oh come on (laughs) this girl's been through enough it but it is really uh it's it's just really brutal and I think I think it's really real too which is kind of you know part of what makes it disturbing but it's really good and then I also saw a movie called them that follow which is um about a uh it's it's about an Appalachian um quote church although it's more of a cult and walton goggins is the preacher and this this church the way that they do things is they'll put a poisonous snake on you and if this snake will slither around on you and if it bites you i guess you're a sinner and if it doesn't you're clean and um and there's way more to it like walton goggins daughter his betrothed to marry one kid but has feelings for another and then there's olivia coleman is in it as well and uh, uh i don't want to give away too much about it because it is kind of a um it's it's one of those better you know best to experience it yourself but it's a and again it's kind of borderline horror um but if you have a phobia of snakes you will be terrified of this movie
1: you had me sold at walton goggins as a preacher yeah we need a walton goggins alert whenever he's got something coming
0: yeah. He's he's terrific. He actually steals the movie because he is yeah, I mean he's he's the Great. he's the fire and brimstone, you know, preacher of this thing, so it's cool. But also what I saw, and this one I know all three of us have been waiting for, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Ooh. Did did you see it, Korea? No. I know Jacob did. Oh, it. okay. I've well, seen it twice. Here's, here's the good news. <laughs> it's not really spoilable. I mean it is, but we won't get into that. But it's, it's one of those movies where, like, it's never boring, but stuff is happening, and you're like, all, oh, is any of this matter in the grand scheme? Of this? It's, it's, it's classic Tarantino, where, you know, you've got, you know, DiCaprio's character and Brad Pitt's character just cruising around L.A., and you're like, all, oh, is this going to tie together? Is this going to tie together? And, you know, some of it does, some of it doesn't, but it's all just classic slice-of-life Tarantino. Yeah. And then it... It
1: culminates in this third act that is insane, <laughs> insane. Also, I I think this may be Tarantino's funniest movie. Like I laughed so hard uh, during a certain scene that I went hoarse. Well,
0: I you know you're right. It is one of his funnier ones. But I went back and watched Inglorious Bastards the other day, and yeah. that is hilarious. Oh I mean, yeah, for a movie for a movie about. Nazis. <laughs> but there's one shot that just killed me in Inglourious Pastors that I don't remember seeing before. But there's one shot where um, the camera kind of is, is like a lower angle of Hitler and he's talking and then there's someone painting a mural of Hitler oh, yeah. on the
1: wall behind him. Yeah, I, mean, well, no, the, I, I remember the, that scene.
0: The visual gag is hilarious. I, did, I don't remember the mural of Hitler behind him. Maybe every other time I've so- I've seen it, I've been just so you know, engrossed in Hitler, <laughs> <laughs> but his, the mural is being painted of him behind him, because, you know, that's the image of Hitler we have, that he's this egomaniac who, you know, is going to have a mural of him on his wall.
1: Right. Uh, but yeah, no, it w- uh, yeah, Once Upon a Time and hollywood was fun and i do feel like it kind of just uh grazed into horror because there is because uh, i guess this isn't really so much of a spoiler but there is a scene at the family's compound yeah, and it gave Spa me a range. real get, uh, gave me a real hills have eyes type of vibe
0: i mean yeah it does deal with the manson family and so it does delve into that and and that spawn ranch scene uh, yeah, it's pretty tense. It's, oh, it's so intense! Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy, with Dakota Fanning as as Squeaky Fromm, <laughs> and Bruce Dern as George Spawn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is the part that uh, Burt Reynolds was supposed to play. Yeah, and I guess James Marstons was supposed to play Burt Reynolds.
1: Yeah, yeah, I heard, I heard about
0: that. Yeah, but that part got cut, and I also heard that there's, um, that there was a part for Tim Roth that ended up on the cutting room floor too. So, when Tarantino puts out the three and a half hour cut of Once Upon a Time, and actually, I heard he's working on a four hour cut with Netflix, which yeah. maybe they're going to cut it. They're going to cut it into four parts, like Hateful Eight, maybe.
1: Yeah, I heard they were going to do it kind of like like with Hateful Eight, where they turned yeah. it into kind of a mini series. A
0: mini series, yeah. And, and I guess the Tim Roth part will be in that one, which is great because, you know, Tim Roth and Samuel L. Jackson are the two guys. I'm like, where are they? And I swear, there's one scene where I think Samuel L. Jackson's in the background of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: I didn't notice.
0: <laughs> I, I, well, either that or I imagined it, but there's, there's, there's a look alike of him, but, uh, and he looks like he's in makeup, kind of like Django Unchained kind of style makeup. But anyway, all right, let's, let's move on to our subgenre. Which is also kind of a, a special subgenre. Let's, what do we got, Jacob?
1: Uh, well, uh, we are doing this podcast uh, early August now, and sadly, um, it is in the wake of the passing of uh, one of the one of the greats, uh, actor Rucker Howard uh, has passed away. So, we decided uh, to talk about. Some some of his movies, uh, which a lot fell into genre.
0: Yeah, I think when people think of Rutger Hauer, they automatically think Blade Runner. Oh, of um, course, because he was. You know, honestly, he kind of makes the movie. His his he uh, really does. villain, but it wasn't just Blade Runner. He made a career of playing villains that were often far more interesting and charismatic than the heroes. And another example of that is I just watched last night for the first time in probably 20 years, Nighthawks.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I love he that movie. plays
0: Yeah, he plays this terrorist who and Sylvester Stallone and Billy D. Williams are the cops that are trying to catch him. And Sylvester Stallone he gives the performance of a potted plant. He's like, oh geez, don't do it. You know, <laughs> but Rutger Hauer is just so devious and evil in this movie and it's like w- when you're on the scenes with sylvester stallone and ability williams you're like come on go back to the rutger hour scenes
1: <laughs> oh and he's also got such a classic 80s bad guy name it's it, it, he's called uh was it wolf, uh, wolf or the wolf
0: yeah well he yeah it's it's like wolf guard or something Wolfguard, like that is, yeah yeah is what it but um he was based on the jackal the real life terrorist so they kind of you know, Right.
1: Jack on Apples. Yeah.
0: yeah. But it but at one point he <laughs> The cops find a picture of him, and this is all first act stuff. The cops find a picture of him on someone that that they that he killed. So he goes and gets plastic surgery <laughs> so he doesn't look like that picture anywhere. I mean, that's the kind of dude that he plays in <laughs> Nighthawks.
1: Yeah, and also he his character has a weakness for disco clubs. Yes. Like he's, <laughs> and, and you get to see Rucker Hauer uh, do his thing on the dance floor.
0: Well, he awesome. the, he has a he has a weakness for disco clubs because that's where he meets women and right. then he hides all of his arsenal of weapons at their house
1: yeah like he seduces women and hides out at their place but also <laughs> oh. he does dance with them so yes, ca- he does so you do get to see Rutger Hauer dance in a disco
0: yep he cuts a rug what about you guys what are your uh favorite Rutger Hauer movies
1: okay well I I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, hobo with a Shotgun is nice. a personal favorite Rucker Howard movie. Because, yeah. you know, it's just on the premise alone, it, it, it could have just been like, you know, just a low tier, low budget, like, uh, grind, uh, grindhouse throwback. But it, it and I hate to use this term, but it, it does feel kind of elevated because uh, of, of not like Rucker Howard's performance as the hobo. Like, he's only known as the hobo. Like, he has this epic monologue uh like uh where he uh where he talks to like these newborn babies in this maternity ward and talks about just how crappy the world is and you know there's a lot to dissect out of there but uh but yeah just he and kind of talking about like he like he could either make a better future or they can end up like him a hobo with a shotgun <laughs> and a hobo with a shotgun
0: yeah hobo and with the shotgun's hilarious because he it like, is. he's he's the hero Of the movie, but his character is still kind of a villain. So he's. Well, I wouldn't say
1: a villain. It's just he's (laughs) uh, he's a wacko. Because, I mean, the people he's fighting are way worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is the other thing, too. Like, uh, the guy who uh, plays the bad guy, uh, the Drake, is played by Brian Downey, who's a Canadian actor. And funnily enough, they actually worked together on a movie years ago. Like, uh, there was this sci fi series called Lex and there was this movie uh, basically they did a mi- the first season's like a mini series of four movies and one of them eating pattern uh it's funny because it's a role reversal because in that movie Rutger howard was the bad guy and brian downey was the good guy then they do hobo with a shotgun the roles are reversed
0: cool what about you korea what's your what's your Rutger howard
2: well first of all i can't talk about hobo with a shotgun without mentioning the greatest line for that movie where the guy uh is doing some bad bad guy stuff and he says something about mother teresa and he's just and then rutger howard just starts beating the shit out of him with his sock full of change and he's like don't say that about mother teresa she's a goddamn <laughs> saint," you know <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> but uh actually uh the rutger howard i want to mention is when i finally watched uh in lieu of the news which is split second um for those who don't know split second that was early early 90s Rutger Hauer so when he was doing a lot of direct to video stuff and split second is awesome it's cyberpunk it's fringe horror there's actual horror it's uh classic Rutger Hauer plays a cop on the edge who is probably crazy but for some reason they still let him have a badge (laughs) and a gun he's been his uh who and he's hunting down uh the man who killed his partner but he also hooked up with his ex part with his deceased partner's uh wife who's Kim Couture yeah. which uh <laughs> Kim Cattrall with short black hair yep.
1: and also he's got a new partner who's by the book yeah he's got a new partner that's
2: that's not only by the book but he's a bookworm and Ruckerhauer. yeah he doesn't drink anymore but boy does he love his coffee and sugar <laughs> uh specifically chocolate oh did i mention uh, the guy that killed his partner is a cult mutant alien venom ripoff. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's weird because, like, at first it tries to be like, oh, yeah, no, it's a serial killer. And, but then it very quickly is like, oh, no, it's an occult thing. And then, you, like, by the time you get to the third act, it's like, no, this is like, this is a creature. This is a creature feature. You're one
0: step away from werewolf at that point. Yeah,
2: basically. <laughs> yeah, it it it's... It went through so many script changes from when it was, like, first written to the final product that, like, you could tell that they were trying to go in a few different directions with it. And yet, the film is better because of it. Because it is, again, it's cyberpunk, but it also is really funny at points. Uh, it has some really solid jokes also, in there. doesn't and it
1: take place in a flooded uh, version of Chicago in the future or something?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it does. Or 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 is it uh, London? Or,
1: yeah, maybe it was like, London. I can't remember. What, uh, yeah, I think it was London, but it's in the future because and yeah. because climate change has melted the ice cap, so most of it's flooded. So yeah, everyone's walking
2: around in ankle deep water, but like it's London, but it's like very clearly not shot in London. Yeah, uh, just a few aerial shots of like the London Bridge and stuff to tie it together. It's 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 just a really fun time, and honestly. The the villain is a better uh, f- uh screen adaptation of Venom than Venom huh. was too, and and the final fight scene is just is it's so much fun because again it's Rutger Hauer fighting a mutant uh, Venom ripoff which
0: is awesome. now right now our whole audience is screaming at their podcast players what about the Hitcher.
1: Oh, yeah, we were going to talk about The Hitcher. We, we oh, were we just... were
0: going to get there. I'm just making it now. <laughs> the Hitcher we just wanted to tease. is another one of those where the the villain is easily the most interesting thing about the movie. And it's all because of Rutger Howard. I mean, see Thomas Howell. I mean, he's he's a step above potted plant, but he is like <laughs> that. Oh, shucks. You know, it, <laughs> and, and I mean, Jennifer Jason Leigh is great, but then, you know. If you've seen it, you know what happens to her. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those movies where, like, just when you think that uh, C. Thomas Howell's character has gotten away and it's all going to be okay, then, you know, a truck appears in the rearview mirror <laughs> and you know who's driving that truck. It, it's like Duel. If uh, Spielberg had given the driver of the, of the semi a face, it would have been Rutger Hauer, you know, in The Hitcher.
1: Yeah, I love The Hitcher just because... Uh, he he's like he's almost like the Terminator he plays this guy yeah. hitchhiker named John Ryder and he's just <laughs> that's he's a just, made up name of course yeah <laughs> and yeah it's just, and that's the thing like he just he's kind of like the Joker he's got no backstory he's got no connections or anything he just appears and creates chaos and he's and yeah he's just he, he's like so determined and single minded like he like now now that he's after this kid like he is like Uh, following him across the country
0: he's not after him to kill him though he's he's playing with him and if you see the movie you know you know how he's playing with him but yeah he's he's there's a reason he doesn't just kill him and be done with it he's it's cat and mouse
1: yeah so so, uh, yeah that and it makes it even more intense because like he yeah like again it's just such a powerful performance and just every, every time he appears it's just like it fills you with dread what other Rutger Hauer's cool? Also, I should add, I'm, uh, I'm going to a uh, Rutger Hauer triple feature next Saturday at The Egyptian because they're doing a whole uh, series of Rutger Hauer movies next weekend at The Egyptian Theater, and it's a uh, terror uh, triple feature of, uh, let's see, The Hitcher, Nighthawks, and Hobo with a Shotgun, all in 35mm, so super stoked to to see that. So jealous, like, uh like, I understand that uh, the
2: Egyptians doing a Rutger Hauer series out of, you know, Morium, but of course they would do a Rutger Hauer series when I go to leave for five weeks. Damn. Like, the timing.
0: So let, let's uh, let's move on from Rutger. Let's, first moment of silence for him. Yeah, moment of silence. Let's move on to our topic, which what prompted this topic was... And and without spoiling anything, it was once upon a time in Hollywood, because it play it. I mean, it, it's based. I mean, all the characters are fictitious except for well, except for the Manson family and Sharon Tate. But then you've got well, and also Bruce Lee's in it, and yeah. I mean, I, I, hey, maybe m- maybe Rick and Cliff are the only two fictitious people in it. But anyway, um, it kind of it plays with real people, so you get this idea that it is a true story. But then obviously. It isn't because anybody who's seen Inglorious Bastards knows that Tarantino plays with history. He rewrites history for his own purposes, and it actually makes things it makes the movies better. But kind of got me thinking about all of these movies that are that are based on a true story, and how much leeway do these movies are are they given when they say? that okay based on a true story i mean and they they say based on true story to sell tickets and to to get people in the seats and you know renting it so i mean the example that i came up with with to korea and i know that he's got a lot to say about this um because we've already kind of touched on an earlier episode was the amityville horror yeah the amityville horror basically has been proven as a hoax the author of the book sat down with the lutzes and you know they drank a couple of bottles of wine and came up with this crazy far-fetched nutso, you know, not really an Indian burial ground. It's like an Indian where they ditched their Indians, you know, when they were crazy. And then there was like the, an exile w- ground. Yes, an exile ground. But then the DeFeos were actually that was that was legit murders. They happened in this house and that might have been the little spark. So there's your there's your kernel of truth in the basement of true story. But they also brought in the Warrens to look at the house. And they swore it was haunted, even though it's been debunked as a hoax. And I, don't get me wrong, the original ambient horror I love as a movie, but is it really ethical for them to say it's based on a true story? What do you guys think? Well, I mean, just when when you first propose this, it's it's
2: such a, it's based on a true story. It's, so, it's not just a horror thing. You know, you, you got your dramas, you got your sports, you got your music biopics, it's all around. And... It's weird because like other ones, they get other genres, they get trashed for moving stuff. Like how so many people were angry with Bohemian Rhapsody with moving around timelines on Freddie's life and stuff like that for the purpose of narrative. And yet horror, you, you, again, you have something where it's like, it's based on a true story, but it might have like one thing. Um, prime example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre based on true events. The only true thing that about, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was that there was someone who murdered people and then used their dead bodies as taxidermy. Ed Gein. Everything else about that movie was fabricated. There was like this one small factoid.
0: The Silence of the Lambs is a is a better representation of Ed Gein than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and
1: also Psycho. Psycho was also inspired by Ed Gein, yeah. but they never right. said it outright. Yeah, it, it,
2: exactly. And so what? Uh, so it's it's that whole realm of like, there's more leeway and there's not so much. It, when it comes to stuff like Texas Chates on Massacre, there's not a whole lot of ethical like, stuff behind it because you're not really messing with people's lives. But when it comes to some movies and, and the books, like, especially with what the Warrens do, there's some like, real-life consequences that happen with um, stretching the truth and uh, fabricating a lot of it. And so, like, like you said, the DeFeo murders actually happened. These people were actually murdered. And this is a very specific case that they – Bring up in the Amityville horror uh, series, which again, how many movies are there? Oh jeez, like, oh god, I think like we've 20. lost
0: count. There's one, a new one called Amityville Mount uh, Something, Mount Misery Road or something. Basically, now people are just throwing the word Amityville onto anything because they can, and there's a built-in audience, so...
1: Yeah, like, I was actually at, uh, the Shockwaves panel yesterday, and they were talking about haunted houses, and they were talking about, you know, like, how, uh, Amityville is an actual place in Long Island, but it's so associated with that haunting. It's like if you say Amityville with something, it's like, oh, you meet oh, it's haunted, or it's like, oh, it's haunted house. So, you know, Amityville just has that association, and uh, you know, Amityville is not a copyright, or, or like the, ter- or the, using the word Amityville in your movie is not copyrighted, so you can just, so, so many people can just throw in Amityville blank, and you got an Amityville movie. Amityville, it's about time. Yes, Amityville toaster.
0: We should call. Uh, we should call the podcast "Eye on Amityville." Right? You think people would listen? <laughs> I don't know.
2: Maybe or just Amityville Eye on Horror.
0: No. What about the what about the ones that are complete? That they they don't even pretend to be true, except they do. Like the Blair Witch Project, they don't right. actually tell you this is based on a true story, but they say. In October of 1994, these kids went into the forest. F- a year later, their footage was found. It's not technically saying this is true, right? But it's telling you all this happened. <laughs> you know, so where there, there's a thin line between crafting a narrative and creating a documentary, which is essentially what the Blair Witch Project is. It's just a documentary that follows their narrative.
2: Which, which. I think honestly especially at this point since it, the market is so oversaturated with based on a true story and it's like wait how is this based on a true story if you have fucking werewolves and or a goober monster <laughs> or whatever yeah. like you, there's a certain point where it's like it's based on a true story there really was a woman named Shelly <laughs> yeah, I knew Shelly it was my aunt and my aunt Shelly so this all happened to her no 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 she just exists like there's just a yeah. certain point where When you see based on a true story, you're immediately taken out of it and you're like, ah, this isn't realistic. But movies like Blair Witch uh, really do – are able to craft that without – because if Blair Witch said based on a true story, I would immediately be like, is it though? But because of how they crafted the mythology and with the extra documentary and the TV special and all that stuff, they – The website. They don't have to tell you
0: it's real. They showed you this is that's actually a good point they show you that it's real so you you take for granted that it's real even though it wasn't but you yeah you just accept it because of how it's put together
1: and it also we also have to look back at when it came out because that was back in 1999 so that was like when the internet was really starting to catch on and it was like one of the greatest marketing campaigns of all time so you know that was a thing like they i guess yeah they didn't really say it, it was based on a true story but they presented enough evidence of it being a true story that a lot of people actually thought it was a real thing
0: audiences were more gullible back then because it was i mean it wasn't the first found footage movie but for all intents and purposes it It was the first found footage movie. Um, It's the first one that people bought hook, line, and sinker. And it's kind of a shame because there's never going to be another Blair Witch Project. Like, Paranormal Activity kind of came close, but I don't think anybody actually thought, oh, this one was real. It was just a really well-made found footage, but, but you couldn't suspend your disbelief, whereas the Blair Witch Project... You could act, you're like, oh my God, these poor people.
2: (laughs) Until a month later when they hit the talk show circuit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that goodwill is now gone. You know, the Blair Witch Project guys ruined it for everyone else. But did they really ruin it? Because, you know, one out of every 10, if maybe even less, found footage movies is actually worth watching. Although I still watch all of them because I'm a sucker for it. Oh, ah, sucker for found footage. I'm sorry, bud. <laughs> Same.
2: It still got merits. It does, and again, I will always say there are some really good ones out there. Willow Creek. I will always plug yep. Willow Creek, uh, and that's another good one where it doesn't go. This is a true story, you know. But it felt real, and I think it's better. I don't know what's one of the classic rules of film is. It's better to show than tell, you know, rather than have like someone explicitly go, oh no she's dead and then like it's better to just show like oh shit that character's dead there's a there's a body
0: over there you know what about the legend of boggy creek because that was that was actually presented as a documentary this it's, it's almost like a leonard nimoy in search of you know david l walper presents kind of a thing where and the legend of the folk monster is real they kind of just crafted this faux documentary about it. So again, you know, I remember seeing the Legend of Body Creek when I was little. It was on like KTLA or, you know, something. And it was terrifying because I was like, oh, my God, this monster exists and it's not Bigfoot, you know, because <laughs> it kind of is Bigfoot. But well, that's one thing, uh,
2: especially when it comes to based on true story, found footage or documentary things. It, it, it's hard to say that this is real when you recognize actors, isn't it? You know, like, oh, that's Marianne from Gilligan's Island. Or on Ghostwatch. I was really into Ghostwatch. I was like, oh, yeah. man, they're doing a really good job of presenting it. And then all of a sudden, they had uh, one of the guys from Red Dwarf come up as one of the reporters. And immediately <laughs> I was taken out because yeah. I'm like, oh, man. Like, don't get me wrong. It was still phenomenal and it very effective uh, in, in what it was trying to do. But that still took me out because all I could think of is him yelling at Lister and uh, saying, Schmeghead a lot um <laughs> uh,
1: and yeah that, i mean that's the thing found footage uh also kind of became in uh in a lot of sense you know like a, uh, the modern based on a true story because you know if it's fa- if it's archival or found footage we're inclined to believe that it's real so like another one i saw recently well a great example of kind of the f- uh, found footage bleeding into um based on a true story was this japanese found footage movie i saw called noroi the curse which presents itself as a straight-up documentary and even has like footage from like japanese talk shows and game shows and uh like shorts and and other stuff uh but you know with the supernatural element so uh it did so like it does have you know kind of those documentary uh transition stuff like uh, ba- like the footage was compiled from X, and uh, w- and it's from this time, and you know that's the thing it's, it could be more about framing than just outright saying it's based on a true story. So,
2: narrative speaking, I think we're all in agreement. It's better to kind of show and make you through uh cinematic techniques and whatnot that it's real, or to at least bring you uh, take away that suspense of belief. But um, going back to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning, do what do you guys think of the ethical uh, points surrounding basing horror movies off of actual events, taking stuff that actually happened and kind of turning it uh, kind of running free with it, but also taking it to another level where. It, it, do you guys think it's
0: disrespectful in some ways, or that's exactly what I was gonna. That's the word I was gonna use. It's kind of disrespectful to the real people. It happened to you, like the. Here's an example. One of my favorite movies of the 2010s is Compliance, and it is it it is based on actual events. And the movie actually, it, what it is, it's about a girl who works at a it's a it's like a chicken sandwich shop, and um
1: her yeah, boss gets
0: yeah, her, her boss gets a call saying the blonde girl who's working the register stole money from me. So her boss calls her into the office and, um, or the, he, the, the guy who calls is pre- pretending to be a cop says she stole money from this woman who called us. So this, this cop, and it's played by Pat Healy. Um, he's telling this manager to like strip search her and do all this horrible stuff to this poor girl who is innocent and you know, she's innocent from the beginning. So the thing is, it's so unbelievable that and, and coupled with the fact that based on a true story is such an overused buzzword buzz phrase, I guess, that, you know, you, you're watching Compliance. You're like, oh, this is this would never happen. This is not how this happened. But it's pretty close to what actually happened in in real life, you know, you can look up the case. I think it might've been a, a Kentucky fried chicken or a Burger King, or maybe both because the guy was, uh, he did it to more people than just the one that the movie's based on. But, you know, you're, you're thinking about this girl that this happened to and people, you know, if people somehow find out that, you know, this movie's about her case, they're like, Oh, that didn't happen. It's like, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty close to how it happened. So it's a little, it's a little dis- disrespectful to the, to the real people involved, I think to tell the story, I think it's more disrespectful to embellish it, but the fact that nobody be- you know based on a true story, people expect that embellishment now. So well, even yeah. when even when the movie is pretty close to actual events, you know, like I mean it's not horror but Argo, you know, Argo is pretty close to what happened right up until the end. And then right. you're like, nah you know, and, and, and that kind of takes you out of the whole thing. You're like, you know, they, 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 there wasn't this big showdown on the runway, you know, as they're, you know, oh, just missed them. You know, well, so. also with
2: Argo it was actually the Canadian government that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Did like 98 percent of the work, not the American government. So it's what are the motives behind that. Um, another example is one that we've talked about uh, in a pretty recent episode. And I brought up earlier Witchfinder General because that one is pretty accurate to what uh Vincent Price's character actually did back then and how it played out but it's not super factual especially the ending cuz at the end you know you have your big hero versus villain showdown where the hero they say triumphs but based on that acting holy crap I don't think anyone got <laughs> out of that situation triumphantly but he but that's not what happened the guy died at a ripe age of 30 from like I don't know, some like disease or something like he he was able to retire peacefully, even though he killed over 200 people uh, charging them of witchcraft in a three year span when in England. No, it was like three to four hundred. I think 600 people in England were killed for witchcraft over the span of like 100 years. And in that two or three years that he was actually the witch finder general, he killed like three or four hundred. Like it's a ridiculous number. And actually, his books on witchcraft helped inspire the Salem witch trials in New England. So, like this, so does having that happy ending of the hero triumphing, yes, it does pay off for the audience because you're giving that happy ending, you're giving that moment of triumph and good versus evil. But is it disrespectful to the impact that this man had on so many lives Uh, to not show, like, hey, He got away with all this. He actually, like, was, you know, for that time and what he did, he was able to live the rest of his life relatively unscathed by it and actually made a lot of money off of the whole situation.
0: I think you bring up a good point where I think – A lot of times in horror movies, when they say based on actual events, it's actually characters based on actual people. Because when you say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, Leatherface is Ed Gein, but also Buffalo Bill is Ed Gein and Norman Bates is Ed Gein, you know, that kind of a deal. It's really more inspired. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's like they're basing these characters on real people. But like you know, none of the events of those movies actually took place. I mean, if you you know, there's a whole Ed Gein movie if you really want to see the Ed Gein story. Right?
2: Is that the one? No, I was gonna say I was gonna say is that the one Jeremy Renner? But that's Dahmer.
0: Yeah. No, I think I I want to say is Kane Hodder in the Ed Gein movie? He's um, in a Ed Gein movie. A, an Ed Gein movie, maybe not the I think one. There's I'm a thinking, few. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: and you know, and one that comes to mind in terms of uh, based on true events that kind of brushes with horror uh fargo right oh because yeah. you know that one that one you know outright starts with it with it saying that it's based off a true story but all the names have been changed but uh, of course it wasn't actually based off of uh, anything that actually happened and it, and it's funny because you know that that uh snowballed into um you know there's that that urban legend about a japanese woman go, actually going to fargo north dakota to try and find the treasure and supposedly she died have you seen that movie? Yeah, Kimiko the Treasure Hunter, which yeah, itself yeah, they, they made a was based movie off it. that story. So yeah. it was, so it, again, you know, just kinda of stumbled after that. But yeah, the woman it, 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 there was an actual uh woman who did tra- uh, go to Fargo, North Dakota, but uh she uh, wasn't trying to find the treasure, she just uh was suicidal and ki- and uh killed herself in the snow. But um but Kamiko wanted to find the the lost treasure, and yeah, and that they said was also based off of, off of a true story, which it was in part. So it is kind of funny that the fiction created an actual event that was itself then based off of into a fiction. And and it's also not just like people
2: you can base it off. There was that horror film that took place a few years ago in the Suicide Forest, and they casted uh, what oh, yeah. uh, one of the actresses from Game of Thrones. What was that called again? Um, uh just the forest so that was based off of a place that is actually like it's a real place and like you know there is that phenomenon of just a lot of people going there to uh uh you know commit suicide and is that respectful is i thought that was disrespectful like this this like very tragic phenomenon that's happening in this one place and then to uh not only make a horror movie out of it, but to make one that isn't really that it, that is that kind of uh, a trope we see a lot, where it's a like white Western character going into a you know foreign place, and then suddenly this thing that's very um, important and very regional it becomes about you know this Westerner who's in that strange environment. You know, right. it's. Uh,
1: I thought that was very disrespectful and that kind of reminds me um like the inspiration for eli Roth's hostile movies came from a story he heard because again you know it's like oh it's been a while since i've seen the hostile movies but did they say that they were based on true events or anything i i don't remember them advertising it as
0: being based on true events
1: right but uh the story but the story behind it is one of those things because it was inspired by something eli roth supposedly heard because like he was backpacking or something and he heard uh for a friend uh, i think i think he was well i don't remember where he was but he was traveling through europe or something and he and he said that uh somebody told him about a place where you could pay money to shoot somebody in the head and that's uh kind of what sparked uh the idea for Hostel. so it, it is interesting you know uh dividing the line between based on a true event and, you know, like just being inspired by true events or, or well, or even just inspired by stories because I'm not really hundred percent sure on if that's true or not, but you know, it's just, the, these things kind of snowball, you know, like you hear about something or you see something in, in the news and an entire franchise can be built around it. I think for me at least, and, and this isn't like, you know, the ultimate judgment on,
2: whether or not inspired or based on true stories is ethical or what have you. But I think it's okay to take inspiration. I think it's okay to read something in the news, like about, you know, for for one example we keep bringing up, to read about someone like Ed Gein. And then for your, uh, you know, for your story to create someone like Buffalo Bill that's inspired by it, but you're not – so you're not just only um, – there's being disrespectful to the victims, but you're not sensationalizing the killer. I mean, there was that whole uproar about every, about people fawning over uh, Zach Efron as... Oh, yeah. Uh, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. I mean, how often does that happen where, you know, so, you know, something is based on and they're like, oh, he's dreamy. Maybe he wasn't. It's like, no, that's Ted Bundy you're talking mm-hmm. about.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. But Ted Bundy, well, I don't... I don't know if you remember. I mean, I I was very young when the Ted Bundy stuff went down, but I remember people were fawning over him. I mean, there he there he had groupies, um, yeah. because you know he was just so charming and attractive. So I mean, that was part of the Ted Bundy phenomenon was women fawning all over him. You know, people, I'll wait for you. Get out of jail. I'll marry you. You know, it's like, okay, you know what this guy does to his women, right? You know. <laughs> I mean, how many times has Charles Manson been married since he was in prison? I think it was at least once or twice maybe, right? When he's in prison? I don't I maybe once, I don't know though. I know he has kids from before uh from before the murders because one of them actually what I think his name might have been Charles Manson Jr. and he he killed himself. And then the other one uh changed his name because he didn't want to how would you like to be Charles Manson's kid? That, I mean, that's I mean, be rough. totally. That would be like, like, how would you like to be Adolf Hitler's kid? I don't know if Hitler had any kids, but you know, it's one of those things. It's like, and that's the, that's another
2: aspect is the, uh, those are just associated with it. So by, you know, is it ethical to sensationalize these tragic events when there's people who are truly affected by, it? I'm sure Charles Manson's kids, aren't too happy that he keeps getting brought up or that you know that there's more movies being coming out that are sensationalizing it i mean what about that haunting of sharon tate movie where there's Uh, ghosts and stuff like that was an actual person that got murdered and then you're going to turn it into their tragic demise into a ghost story
0: yeah played by hillary duff oh
1: yeah like i think the like the thing about once upon a time in hollywood uh, was at least, you know, Tarantino actually went to Sharon Tate's sister and family and ran it by them for their approval first.
2: Which he did not do for Polanski or Bruce Lee.
1: Yeah, that's
0: true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think um, his treatment of Sharon Tate, I thought was... I, I mean, I liked the character. He, he th- There was a stink after its premiere where some woman asked, you know, you have this Academy Award caliber actress and Margot Robbie, and you don't give her any lines, you know, and he, you know, he's, I reject your hypothesis. It's like, well, yeah, she doesn't have that many lines in the movie, but she doesn't need them. I mean, Margot Robbie spends a lot of the movie just dancing and you know what? It's great that way, you know, she, cause she's at a party, she's at a club, she's in her bedroom putting on a Paul Revere and the Raiders record and she's dancing, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I don't understand people who think that characters need a whole lot, a lot of lines to be developed. It's like, no, you know, we know all we need to know about Sharon Tate from what Margot Roby did with her. But now we're getting off topic. Yeah. So it might be a good time to reel this one in. <laughs> yeah. Have any yeah. final thoughts?
1: <laughs> okay. Well, um, I guess it, it, you know, as, as it came up, as we discussed it, Uh, you know, we have to kind of look at the lines between, you know, like, something actually being based off a true event, or being inspired by a true event, or sensationalized, uh, sensationalizing a true event, uh, which, in a lot of ways, also kind of goes into the realm of exploitation which, uh, didn't bring up as much, but yeah, I mean, uh, historical fiction is really big nowadays, so I guess you know, it kind of depends on how it's handled, or what, what the event is you know, just, you got, it's uh, you know, it just kind of depends on a, a case-by-case basis, and, um yeah, and like and in horror, you know, like I feel like his uh, historical horror and fiction or stuff based off of true events are still pretty popular because you know, what's more terrifying than the real world? They're real events,
0: Well, in a lot of these, based on actual events, um, I think that a lot of the actual events may not be known, so they have to fill in the gaps creatively, and that's where I think you get a lot of people going, that didn't happen. It's like, well, how do you know? You know, (laughs) no one knows. This is just this writer's idea of what might have happened, so.
2: Uh, For me, I think at the end of the day, it's how you present it. Uh, Are you presenting this story as a fact with evidence, or are you presenting it as A narrative that is inspired by facts, and there's liberties taken. Um, But does that mean all movies that are based off of something that happened have to have a disclaimer saying not everything that happened in this happened the way it is? Or you know, can we just accept the fact that you know they're going to change things to you know because if if there is no satisfying third act to a story, so you know, a writer's going to create it. So, I think the responsibility is not only on the creators, but as we, as an audience, to call out movies that are that do sensationalize and do uh, exploit,
0: you know, to to a disrespectful degree. Cool. All right, and with that, let's call this an episode. Uh, <laughs> our uh, our music is Restless Spirit. And if you haven't checked out their new album, uh, check it out. There's a, a a version of our theme song on it. Uh, our artwork is Chris Fisher, and if you haven't checked his artwork out, uh, track him down, check that out. Uh, me, James J. Edwards. You can find me on the Twitters at Cinema That's like Verite, but with fear, so it's F E A R I T E. Where can we find you guys, Jacob?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob Davison underscore. That is at J A C O B D A V A S O N underscore. And
2: Korea. And I'm Jonathan Korea. You can find me at. Uh Korean Barbecue
0: on Twitter and Instagram. That's C O R R E I A N B B Q. And you can find all of us at the iHorror Horror Facebook page. You can find Korea at least on the Stardust app for iHorror. Uh, you can find all of us at iHorror.com. Uh, you can find all of us at the iHorror.com Facebook page. We're easy to get a hold of if you have anything to say. Uh, Jacob has something to plug that he has been suspiciously silent about. Oh, you want to tell him about dead time stories?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or do you not uh, <laughs> Am I no no i do spot? i do want to plug it i just i, I get i'm just bashful is all uh, but Aww. no no um uh yeah i uh, i've actually been writing a horror anthology podcast series it's kind of uh uh podcast anthology tales from the crypt style series on uh, for ranker.com it's called dead time stories you can find it Um, online through uh, iTunes, Google Play, and all sorts of platforms, and uh, I wrote a couple episodes recently that I think have uh, some pretty fun stories in them, so uh, if you can, subscribe, review, uh, and rate it, and uh, got some more stories in the pipeline.
0: There are like four or five different podcasts called dead time stories. The one you're looking at looking for has like purple artwork with a skull. It says dead time stories. And it's a ranker one because, yep. um, there are a bunch of dead time th- that are called dead time stories. So,
1: all right, well, we could probably post a link, uh, on, on the Ion horror page. Okay.
0: Yeah. That'll make it easy to find. We, um, Korea is going to be hitting the road for his job. So, um, we are hoping that we're going to be able to record while he's on the road um but if we get a little less consistent than normal <laughs> uh that's the reason why and if we do get a little less consistent than normal um you can go listen to deadtime stories if you miss us because uh, <laughs> not only did jacob at least the episode i listened to not only did he write he actually voice acted in one of them so yeah, I did. if you're if really? you're missing if you're missing jacob's voice go listen to dead time stories <laughs> and and that might give you a little bit of your fix uh so
2: Wait, so jacob you acted i did <laughs> oh
1: I, i'm a i'm a renaissance man i guess you're gonna have to listen to it while i'm on the plane <laughs> oh please do please
0: do <laughs> all right so uh we're we're gonna get out of here we'll see you hopefully in a couple weeks uh for me james j edwards i'm jacob davison and i'm jonathan Korea. keep your eye on horror <laughs>